Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler, Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at Raw Attitude Pod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. And on that note of sending us an email, we received a very nice one this past week from Raw Attitude Podcast fan Jeffrey in regard to our previous episode which featured Sal from WrestleMania Salvation. Jeffrey writes, quote, Hello, Henry and Sal. At work and nearly just spit out my soda listening to you guys talk about the Val Venus promos. The Rubik's Cube line? Awesome. When you mentioned Christmas time and his Yule Log, it reminded me of another Christmas-themed promo he had. He said to the ladies, We will call this leg Thanksgiving and this leg Christmas, and why don't you come see me between the holidays? Classic. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much, Jeffrey, and I have to admit, I actually did get a chuckle out of that come see me between the holidays line, which probably says more about me than it should. And Jeffrey, your email actually made me ponder something. Was Val doing promos like these before his matches during house shows as well? Because if he was, that's a lot of goddamn sexual innuendos to think up. Vince Russo must have been working overtime at this point. But thank you very much to Jeffrey for writing in with such a nice email, and also a big thank you to Sal from WrestleMania Salvation for joining the last episode. I will definitely be having him on again at some point, for sure. And also, do not forget that we have the Patreon page set up now. The link will be in the episode description, of course. And there are lots of great rewards for donating, such as bonus episodes, my 650-page-plus Attitude Era Encyclopedia, and, of course, the ability to pick your own episode. Great stuff patreon.com slash raw attitude podcast all right so with that being said let's get into monday night raw it is monday december 21st 1998 and we are pre-taped six days in advance from spokane arena in spokane washington some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include four episodes of SmackDown, and two episodes of WWE's rebooted version of ECW. Strangely, no other episodes of Raw have ever taken place here, and there has never been a pay-per-view here either. Maybe someday, Spokane. Maybe someday. We open the show with footage from moments ago, where we see Vince McMahon in the parking lot with Shane McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe. Vince is actually about to get into a limousine and leave the arena, apparently because he wants to go get in a workout in preparation for his appearance in the Royal Rumble match. Vince says that everyone in the corporation will receive Christmas bonuses when he returns to the arena later, and, more importantly, he's leaving Shane in charge of Raw while he's gone. How will that play out? I guess we shall see tonight. After that, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs in the arena tonight include Sable makes me horny. McMahon likes anal sex, with the word anal being misspelled. Shamrock stole my body. Sexual vanilla. Vince McMahon smells the rock's asshole. Sluts rule. My signs suck. And Farouk is a piece of shit. So I'm thinking Ron Simmons must have refused to sign an autograph for a certain Spokane resident. We start the show with the entire corporation, except for Vince, walking to the ring. In case you need a refresher, here are all of the members. WWF Champion The Rock, Tag Team Champions Ken Shamrock and The Big Boss Man, a Santa hat-wearing Shawn Michaels, Shane McMahon, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and your newest member as of last week, Test. And once again, it appears that Jim Johnston has decided to create yet another new theme song, which will presumably not be used for very long. So take a listen to the corporation's new theme. And there's- 
there's Shane McMahon, flanked by the other members of the corporate team. Mr. McMahon is handed complete control to Shane McMahon here on Raw. Mr. McMahon says Kingy's out training for the Royal Rumble and also has a Christmas bonus plan for the corporation. And he also said that he's holding Frisco and Patterson responsible for Shane's actions here tonight. And I think we're in good hands. And Mr. McMahon also asking Shane to keep his ego and temper in check. What ego? So Shane grabs a mic and says that because he has the keys to the kingdom tonight, we're going to be doing things his way. Unfortunately for Shane, as soon as he says that, D-Generation X's music plays and all five members of DX appear at the top of the stage. Triple H then says that Shane may have the keys to the kingdom, but DX has the keys to the boiler room, and from there, Mankind emerges from backstage to join them. And speaking of theme songs, yes, Mankind is still using that remix of his classic theme song. I played it on the previous episode of this podcast, so be sure to give that a listen if you haven't done so already. And from there, well, I'll just play the promo for you here, because we get the setup for quite a few matches on Raw tonight. What do we have, a loser convention in town? Oh. (laughs) I mean, you guys, you're like the bad news bears of the World Wrestling Federation. No, Shane, the bad news is you're an even bigger ass than your old man. Whoa. You don't have to take that, Shane. I don't think he will. He's got complete control. Thank you, know. you very much, Triple H. I appreciate the compliment. Oh, there goes that chant again. Yeah, the fans responding. Their true feelings coming out. What's up? I can't hear you. Oh, come on. I guess what's good for the father is good for the son. Okay, hot shot. Let's get down to a little business now. Let me focus my attention on the New Age Outlaws. Oh, yes, Mr. Ass and uh, Mr. Dog. Now... Obviously, you are not the WWF Tag Team Championship material, such as the Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock. Oh, no. The Outlaws losing the titles to Boss Man and Shamrock last week on Raw. And there will be absolutely no rematch for those titles. Oh, no. But you know what? Thinking about it, talking to my good friend here, Commissioner Michaels, maybe there's something we can work out on an individual basis where you might be able to get your, uh, as you said last Monday, your sphincters kicked here tonight. Sean, tell them what the New Age Outlaws have won this evening. Well, first off, Shane, for badass Billy Gunn, you get to receive a bona fide UFC ass-kicking courtesy of the Intercontinental Champion, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Wow, right here tonight. But that's not all, Shane. For my good friend, Road Doggy Dog, you get one big fat rolled up hydroponic whomping and a stomping courtesy of the big boss man who comes complete with flak jacket and nightstick to conveniently shove where the sun doesn't shine. Oh boy. What's Frisco and Patterson upset about? I wonder what. Sean, I have, I have one other question. What else is cooking up there? Maybe do you have something else in store for our lucky audience this evening? Well, Shane... For Triple H and his male companion, X-Pac, they will receive an all-expense-paid vacation right here to the squared circle where they will be in tag team action against the corporate champion, The Rock, and the corporate insurance policy test. Now, back to you, Shane. Wow. Thank you very much, Sean. And to save the best for last, mankind, you deranged freak. Let me tell you one thing. Nobody, and I mean nobody, puts their hands on my father without a little payback. So tonight, mankind, tonight, it's going to be you against me. Whoa. What? What? Shane has challenged mankind. 
So there you have it. We now have four matches scheduled for tonight. Billy Gunn versus Ken Shamrock, Road Dog versus the Big Boss Man, Triple H and X-Pac versus The Rock and Test, and Mankind versus Shane McMahon. So yes, you heard that correctly. Both Shane and Test will be making their in-ring debuts tonight on Monday Night Raw. As for Shane, I'm guessing maybe he's feeling emboldened since Vince has entered himself into the Royal Rumble, so maybe he wants to prove to his dad that he can compete in the WWF as well. So how will he fare against Mankind tonight? Well, I'm actually looking forward to finding out. Michael Cole then informs us that we should check out the newest issue of People Magazine, which features the 25 most intriguing people of the year. Why? Because one of them is Stone Cold Steve Austin. So just in the past few weeks, Stone Cold has been featured on the cover of TV Guide, he's had a full profile written on him in Rolling Stone, and now he's in People magazine as well. Yes, folks, this is that moment when America is starting to realize that wrestling is back to being a big fucking deal. Just ask the governor of Minnesota. After a commercial break, we then cut backstage, where D'Lo Brown is telling Mark Henry that he is against the idea of sexual chocolate fooling around with women when he should be focusing on their match. So apparently, someone has extended an invitation to the world's strongest man. Mark says that getting busy will actually help him have a better match, and he then tells D'Lo to stand guard outside the locker room while he attends to more important matters. Clearly, D'Lo is a good friend. From there, we segue back into the arena for our first match of the evening, Gangrel versus Al Snow. Of particular note here is the fact that we have a brand new referee making his debut for the match, and it is none other than Teddy Long. Teddy had previously been a referee and a manager in the NWA and WCW from 1985 to 1996, but he hadn't really been seen much since then. Well, now... Here he is in the WWF, and, spoiler alert, he'll end up being employed by the company in various roles for the next 16 years, culminating in a Hall of Fame induction in 2017. So welcome to the WWF, Teddy Long. So as for the match itself, it was only given about three minutes, but it was pretty solid. The finish came when Gangrel attempted to pick up Al for a scoop slam, but Al escaped, booted Gangrel in the stomach, then picked him up and hit him with his scoop brain buster finisher that he calls the snowplow, and that was enough to score the one, the two, and the three. And sadly, when Al hooked Gangrel's leg, we could clearly see that Gangrel had split the back of his pants. Yikes. However, as soon as the match ended, the lights went out and the brood's music played. The ring was illuminated in red and we got a strobe light effect and we could see that Christian was now in the ring as well. Al backed up to avoid him, but Edge then grabbed his foot and pulled him outside the ring where all three members of the brood started beating on him. From there, the lights went out again and when they came back on, Al Snow was covered in blood. Now, remember last week that the brood gave a bloodbath to Tiger Ali Singh, and the blood that covered him actually looked much more like real blood, so it wasn't as noticeable. 
This time, however, it more closely resembled red paint, so the effect tonight was actually better, if that makes sense, since the color was much more pronounced. And during the commercial break, we saw that Al was freaking out, so the other job squad members came to ringside and tried to calm him down, but to no avail. It also sounded like Al was yelling, Not again! So apparently, somehow, this is not the first time he's been covered in blood, which I suppose could explain why he carries around what resembles the severed head of a woman. Suddenly, it all makes sense. From there, we kick into our next match, WWF Intercontinental Champion Ken Shamrock versus Badass Billy Gunn, and, surprisingly, according to ring announcer Tony Chimmel, Shamrock's belt actually is on the line in this match. And early on, the crowd made it very clear that they were in Mr. Ass's corner as they chanted, Shamrock sucks, and also, a new one I haven't heard before, they chanted, suck it, with the same rhythm that they chant, nugget, for Owen Hart. The Spokane crowd is clearly thinking outside the box tonight. So Billy controlled the majority of the match early on until Shamrock started working over his left leg. Now, remember last week that Mr. Ass was literally hopping on one leg during the Outlaws match against Shamrock and the Boss Man because the corporation had been working over his injured ankle. And ultimately, the Outlaws ended up losing the tag titles in that match due to Billy Gunn's injury. This week, however, we got a different result. After about eight and a half minutes of a pretty solid match, Shamrock got up on Billy's shoulders and went for a victory roll, but just like Owen did to Brett at WrestleMania 10, Billy reversed it, so let's pick it up from there. Off the ropes. Billy Gunn now. And look at Shamrock now. He's in trouble. Got him again. Try to roll him over. Billy Gunn reverses it. Here's the cover now. And it's over. It's over. And we have a new Intercontinental Champion. He's the winner and the new World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, Badass Billy Gunn. I can't believe it. Wait a minute. Second, big fella. Yeah, but this is the commissioner. Once again, we got another guy with a million-dollar body and a ten-cent brain. What? Billy Gunn, if you heard me at the beginning of the show, I told you you could fight the Intercontinental Champion. I never once said that the title was on the line. Come on! The, the only person in this building that the ring announcer said, said the championship Listen. was on the line was that announcer, and his opinion doesn't mean squat. Therefore, the winner this non-title match Whoa! is badass Billy Gunn. Oh, come on. Ladies and gentlemen, still the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Come on. Shamrock. Well, listen, the ring announcer got it wrong. So what? King Sean's wearing a Santa's hat, but he's a damn Grinch. So from there, Billy Gunn drops the Intercontinental title on the mat in front of Shawn Michaels, and then he proceeds to pull down his trunks and moon the commissioner. Shamrock then blindsides Mr. Ass with a clothesline, and he heads back up the ramp along with HBK. And so, once again... The corporation has screwed over D-Generation X, this time flat out taking the Intercontinental title away from Billy Gunn after he appeared to win it cleanly. Kind of reminds me of Starcade 1996 when they did the Hogan vs. Piper main event, only to reveal at the end of the night that the match was never actually for the WCW Championship. Uh, spoiler for the Nitromania podcast six months from now. Up next, after a commercial break, we get footage from last night on Sunday Night Heat where Draws was facing Al Snow. However, much to Draws' surprise, we got an appearance by Hawk, the man who he almost murdered five weeks ago on Raw when he pushed him off the Titantron. In fact, this was the very first time we've seen Hawk since that infamous moment. 
And miraculously, even though he was pushed off the Titantron, he's only sporting a cast on his left arm, so leave it to Hawk to somehow manage to no-sell death. And speaking of that cast, Hawk then hit Draws in the head with it behind the referee's back, which allowed Al Snow to nail Draws with the snowplow and score the three count. So now we head back live to the arena where Hawk is walking to the ring. He's still sporting the cast, and he has no makeup, a full head of hair, a pair of black jeans, and a WWF Attitude t-shirt, which just makes him look like a total jobber. Also, when he enters the ring, we can clearly see one of the people who signed his cast for him, because it says, quote, To Hawk, suck it, Triple H. Such a nice thing to say to a man who almost died. So anyway, Hawk grabs a microphone, and he proceeds to tell us all about his relationship with Draws. Well, that'll be good. It's time to let the cat out of the bag. The dark, deep little secret of, of Draws and mine. You see, Draws, he's the pusher man. What? He's the enabler. Pusher. I don't have to cover for you anymore, Draws. Because I'm clean. Uh oh. I've been that way for some time. And I like it. It was a good little plan. Make me undependable in animals' eyes. Sneak up and take my job. You are the dope pusher. And I was the dope. Dope pusher. And nobody regrets it more than me. And when I heal up. Oh. When I hear L.O.D. stands for Legion of Doom and Lords of Discipline, and boy, I'm gonna discipline the hell out of you. you call him a dope pusher. Hey, let me tell you something. The best way to fuel a fire that's gone wild is with hatred, and I have plenty of that. Wow, Hawkins! Hit draws from behind now. It draws is attacking Hawkins. Here, here comes Animal. Well, look at this. Animal throwing draws. Is it true, Michael? You think it's true? Hawk was drawn in the middle. So, as you heard there, Hawk revealed that Draws has been his drug dealer the entire time, and it was all part of Draws' master plan to keep Hawk high as fuck so Animal would abandon him and Draws could take his spot in the Legion of Doom. Truthfully, pretty smart plan by Draws. Worked like a charm. However, Hawk's statement caused Draws to come out from backstage and start beating on him until Animal made the save and shoved Draws down to the canvas. And surprisingly, even though this entire angle has been completely off-the-wall bonkers, the crowd does indeed respond with a loud LOD chant, indicating that they want to see Hawk and Animal back together again. We don't exactly get that tonight, though, as Hawk gets up and walks backstage while Animal looks on from the ring, but it certainly appears as though Animal has finally realized that he's been played for a fool by Draws. Oh, and in case you're wondering if I'm going to touch on Jerry Lawler's statement at the end of that clip where he says, quote, there are no drugs in the WWF. Well, I think I can just let that one speak for itself. We then cut backstage where Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown are somehow still standing near the same door that they were in front of half an hour ago. Mark knocks on the door, and when it opens, we see Terry Runnels and Jacqueline poke their heads out. They tell Mark that they're ready for him, and so sexual chocolate enters the room as D'Lo stands guard, unamused. And I, for one, certainly hope Terry doesn't overexert herself tonight because, as you may recall, she is still pregnant. Let us not forget that minor detail. After another commercial break, we get a flashback to one year ago when Stone Cold Steve Austin confronted Santa Claus and, you guessed it, hit him with a Stone Cold Stunner. And for the record, this segment was covered 
way back in episode number one of this fine podcast, so be sure to go back and give that a listen when you get a chance. From there, we head back to the arena for our next match, Steve Blackman versus the Blue Blazer? Yes, you heard that correctly. Even though Blackman unmasked the Blazer last week and we clearly saw that it was Owen Hart, the Blazer has made his return. However, before the match begins, Owen does indeed appear at the top of the ramp with a microphone, so once again, he and the Blazer are seen in the same place at the same time. Owen says that he has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is not the Blue Blazer, but there is a little bit of the Blue Blazer in each and every one of us. And from there, the Blazer decides to use that distraction to jump Blackman from behind to start the match. And while it's going on, Owen actually joins the commentary team, where Michael Cole continues to insist that he is the Blazer. Amusingly, Owen says that the footage was doctored last week, so Cole reminds him that Raw was live at the time. A frustrated Owen then gets up from the commentary table, runs into the ring, and starts beating on Blackman, resulting in a disqualification only about two minutes into the match. The Blazer then puts Blackman into a dragon sleeper, and Owen appears ready to kick Blackman in the balls, but Goldust runs out from backstage and takes out Owen. From there, the Blazer tried to sneak away and head up the ramp, but Goldust caught him from behind. With Goldust holding the Blazer's arms behind his back, Blackman then walked toward him and attempted to unmask the Blazer for the second straight week. Blackman's going to make it two for two! Get in there! Yes, that's right. Blackman unmasked the blazer to reveal that it was 2018 WWE Hall of Famer Jeff Jarrett. Double J immediately attempted to cover up by putting the cape over his face, and you could hear Owen in that clip yelling, Who is that masked man? But it was quite clearly Jarrett. So I suppose we can now assume that Owen and Jarrett have each been alternating in the costume over the past few months. That seems like a fine resolution to the angle to me, so clearly we will never see the Blue Blazer in the WWF again, right? Right? Ugh. From there, we cut backstage where Mark Henry is sitting on a couch between Terry and Jacqueline. Terry says they have a seven-course meal ready for tonight, which doesn't really sound all that sexy, but then again, this is Mark Henry we're talking about. The man does appear to love food. But first, Terry and Jackie want to take a shower and they want Mark to watch. Sounds like a pretty good deal for sexual chocolate. We then head back to the arena for our next match, WWF Hardcore Champion The Big Boss Man versus The Road Dog Jesse James in a non-title match. Amusingly, before the match begins, when Road Dog does his usual spiel, he quickly sneaks in the word former, as in, your WWF former tag team champions of the world. Pretty funny. From there, Road Dog then attempts to goad the boss man into putting the hardcore title on the line by telling him that he is actually from Cobb County, Georgia, which is true. Road Dog is from Marietta. And he has a cousin in Boss Man's former prison who says that, quote, At nighttime, you boys got funky with them nightsticks. So, uh, is Road Dog saying that Boss Man would sodomize inmates with his nightstick? Because that is quite the accusation. But apparently this tactic works because it pisses off Bossman enough that he actually agrees to put the hardcore title on the line, so it appears that we have us a title match after all. And early on, I'm pretty sure we got a bit of history here because when Road Dog rolls out of the ring and Bossman follows him, Road Dog ends up hitting him with a cookie sheet, and I think this is the very first instance of that weapon being used in a hardcore match. Certainly, it will not be the last. Shortly after that, both men brawl through the crowd until they end up near the technician's area, and two of the technicians are seated at a table, seemingly snacking on some food, but Boss Man hip-tosses Road Dog onto their table, smashing it in two and knocking both of them to the ground. Very random, I must say. Boss Man then grabs a broom and chokes Road Dog with it back through the crowd, leading him back to the ring. At one point, Bossman opened up one of the pouches on the front of his flak jacket and pulled out a Ziploc baggie full of powder, which amusingly caused Jerry Lawler to say, quote, That's some of that stuff he must have confiscated down there in Georgia. So just a few minutes after saying that there are no drugs in the WWF, Lawler jokes about Bossman having cocaine. Consistency. 
However, Bossman's strategy ends up backfiring when Road Dog kicks the powder out of his hands, causing it to shoot up into his own face. Both men then continue to brawl through the crowd, and, as if the baggie of coke wasn't enough, Bossman then reaches into another one of his pouches and pulls out a fucking noose. Yes, you heard that correctly. A noose. He then puts it around Road Dog's neck and tightens it, so apparently the boss man is trying to commit a lynching in the middle of this match. To which I say, if the boss man putting a noose around someone's neck makes you long for the same thing to happen to him, just wait a few months from now. Spoiler. So Bossman continues beating the crap out of Road Dog, including using the noose around his neck to Irish whip him from one guardrail into another, which was pretty clever. However, at that point, Mankind appeared from out of nowhere with a net which he then tossed over Bossman's head. Foley then appeared to hit Bossman with a lead pipe, which knocked him to the ground. From there, Road Dog rolled on top of him, the referee made the count, and sure enough, we have a new WWF Hardcore Champion. Yes, that's right, the Road Dog has become only the third ever Hardcore Champion, and this is also his first ever singles title in the WWF. He then heads back to the ring where he grabs the hardcore title and holds it up for the crowd to see, and I have to say, the fans are giving Road Dog a really big ovation here. And oh, by the way, the noose is still around his neck while he's celebrating, so that adds a little bit of a strange touch. But yes, for once, it appears that DX has finally gotten the upper hand on the corporation. We then go backstage where Mark Henry is once again sitting on the couch with Terry and Jacqueline, and they have now changed into nightgowns. They then proceed to strip Mark down to nothing but his red boxer shorts before putting what appears to be a dog collar around his neck. Terry suggests a massage, so they have Mark lie down on a table. Instead, however, Terry sprays whipped cream on his chest, and she then puts a gag ball into his mouth. This has certainly taken a turn. And to make things even more interesting, Terry says she wants to finish things off with some, quote, good vibrations... And yes, she pulls out a small vibrator. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you wrestling. And by the way, this segment went on for more than three minutes, and at a certain point, it just becomes uncomfortable. But anyway, after that, we cut to a completely random segment where Jeff Jarrett and Deborah are standing somewhere next to a staircase outside of a building, and Double J then proceeds to just rant for a little while about what pisses him off. You know what pisses me off? World hunger. Holy wars, politics, mm-hmm. ugly women in politics, Madeline Albright, Janet Reno, pigs. You know what else pisses me off? Women with semen stained dresses, semen stained dresses, pigs. That really pisses me off. Hillary Clinton, stand by your man. You really me off. So there you have it. Apparently, everyone associated with Bill Clinton pisses Jeff Jarrett off. And suddenly, his WWE Hall of Fame induction is starting to make much more sense. After another commercial break, we then cut backstage where we see Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe attempting to talk Shane McMahon out of fighting Mankind tonight. However, Shane refuses to listen to them, and he says that he's going to take care of business out there because Mankind humiliated Vince last week. Honestly, though, did Mick really humiliate Vince? I mean, yes, he did get some shots in on him last week, but that very same segment ended with The Rock hitting Mankind with a rock bottom on the hood of a car, so it certainly seems like Vince ended up getting the last laugh. Oh well. After that, we cut back to Mark Henry's antics once again. Terry is now putting a blindfold over his eyes, and she and Jackie then proceed to use belts to tie Mark's hands and feet to the table so he can't move. Although really, he is, quote-unquote, the world's strongest man, so I would assume he could just break out of them anyway. I guess we'll see. But never mind that, because we now head back to the ring for our next match, the Acolytes versus Job Squad members Bob Holly and Scorpio. Now, I will note that the Jackal is not accompanying the Acolytes to the ring here, and that's because, well, he was fired from the WWF right around this time. It's kind of funny to think that the Jackal was the storyline reason for Farouk and Bradshaw coming together, and for Christ's sake, their team name is The Acolytes, and the literal definition of an Acolyte is a follower, and yet, only about one month after the Jackal united them, he's gone. Go figure. So as for the match, I have to say, when Bradshaw and Bob Holly were in the ring together, I was kind of hoping they would just abandon all professionalism and start beating the shit out of each other, since they're a couple of guys who take pride in stiffing other people, but alas, it did not happen. 
but uh, fuck both those guys anyway. So after a little more than three minutes, the match basically just devolved into a brawl. Farouk was fighting with Scorpio outside the ring, while Bradshaw was fighting with Holly inside the ring, and, for some reason, this caused referee Jimmy Corderas to disqualify the Acolytes. It would certainly seem like ruling the match a no contest would have made much more sense, but no, the Acolytes got disqualified, and I really have no idea why. I guess maybe they needed to fit in their weekly quota of DQ finishes. But there is another story at play here. This is the final Monday Night Raw match for Scorpio. He'll continue to be employed for another month or so, but he'll only be competing on house shows and on Shotgun Saturday Night. So why does he end up being released? Well, here's a quick excerpt from an article on the Slam Wrestling website in May of 1999. Scorpio, real name Charles Skaggs, is competing on the independent circuits after being let go by the WWF earlier this year. Dealing with personal problems at home, Scorpio asked for some time off. It turned out that he received more time off than he originally wanted. They just let me go, stated Scorpio. Anytime the paychecks stop coming in, I consider that being let go. And as a quick recap, he had joined the WWF in late 1996 under the gimmick of Flash Funk, essentially having the persona of a 1970s-era pimp. He was repackaged as Scorpio in April of 1998, and he's pretty much been a jobber to the stars since then. However, because he did have a relatively lengthy run with the company, it is with that in mind that I feel it is only right to send Scorpio to Wrestler Heaven. You were so funky. And I know, that's right. And so, after a commercial break, it is time for the match we've all been waiting for. Mankind versus the man who is making his in-ring debut, Shane McMahon. And for the record, he is accompanied by a very unhappy Patterson and Briscoe. And for those of you who are accustomed to seeing Shane enter to his present day Here Comes the Money theme song, you will likely get a kick out of the fact that the theme Shane uses for his very first match is the Brawl for All theme. Fun fact, the Brawl for All theme song has now been on Raw more recently than Bart Gunn, the man who won the whole goddamn tournament. Bart has not made a single appearance on Raw since August 24th when he knocked Bradshaw out to win the whole thing, so talk about squandering an opportunity. And speaking of theme songs, just two days before this episode aired, we had the release of a CD called WWF The Music Volume 3. And if ever you needed an indication of how hot wrestling was at this time, a CD full of wrestlers' entrance themes ends up going platinum. Yes, the WWF sold over 1 million units of a CD full of entrance themes. Pretty amazing. And yes, I bought it, and I played the shit out of it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's get into Mankind versus Shane McMahon. So Shane actually starts the match by doing those quick jabs to the face that he still uses today, so it's nice to see how some things never change. Unfortunately for him, Mankind quickly puts the stop to that by nailing him with a clothesline. And it is at that point that we see that we have a few more visitors at the top of the ramp. The Rock, Shawn Michaels, Ken Shamrock, the big boss man, and Test. Interestingly, it appears as though The Rock wants to head down to the ring and help out Shane, but Shawn Michaels is preventing him from doing so. Interesting. Meanwhile, Mankind rolls out of the ring and grabs both a microphone and a chair. He tells Shane that he has a Christmas present for him, but instead of hitting Shane with the chair, he hands it over to him. Mankind then turns his back on Shane and nails him with it, but fully completely no-sells it. 
He then starts punching Shane in the corner, which causes Patterson and Briscoe to run in, but Mankind easily dispatches both of them, at one point putting a testicular claw on Patterson, and that had to hurt. Mankind then proceeds to pull out Mr. Sacco, and he puts it on Shane. With the boss's son almost unconscious lying down in the corner, The Rock has finally had enough, so he runs to the ring and jumps Mankind from behind, resulting in a disqualification. Rock and Mankind then brawl on the arena floor, but meanwhile, X-Pac sneaks into the ring. He sees that Shane is in perfect position for a Bronco Buster, so he does indeed proceed to start teabagging the heir apparent. From there, the rest of DX ran into the ring and stood guard, refusing to let the corporation enter. The Rock and Briscoe then carried the humiliated Shane backstage as Mankind and DX celebrated together. But perhaps the bigger question here is, why did Commissioner Michaels not want the corporation to help out Shane? Seems like a strange decision, but perhaps we'll have some answers sometime soon. And from there, we segue into something completely unnecessary. Throughout the night, Cole and Waller had said that we were going to see the real Santa Claus in action, and what we end up getting is a pre-taped segment where classy Freddy Blassie is pretending to be a mall Santa as several people complain about his antics. In fact, I dare say this segment may be the inspiration for the movie Bad Santa. Take a listen. He was the most vulgar Santa I ever saw. Hey, Dutch! Come sit on Santa's lap! Crude. Classless. I got your Christmas present right here. That Santa had only one thing on his mind. Get a look at those. Hey, sweetheart, how'd you like to wake up and find me underneath your Christmas tree? <laughs> Santa's gonna get some tonight. So, yes, what you just heard there was Freddie Blassie sexually harassing women, doing a crotch chop, and ogling a young girl's boobs, followed by a screen at the end which said, WWF Attitude. Talk about segments that don't age well in 2018. Remember, kids, WWF Attitude means being disrespectful to women. In fact, try it with your teacher at school tomorrow. And so, after a commercial break, we cut to the parking lot where Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe are nervously waiting for Vince McMahon to return. Now that Shane has been beaten down on their watch, they're afraid that they may not receive their holiday bonuses, or worse, that they may need to receive hard times. From there, we cut to D'Lo Brown, who is still waiting for Mark Henry outside the locker room. Unfortunately, D'Lo's music starts to play, which means it's time for their match, so D'Lo starts pounding on the door. And, speaking of being the inspiration for movies, when D'Lo knocks on the door, we can hear Mark yelling, I'm coming, which I'm pretty sure is a punchline in American Pie, a movie which comes out roughly seven months after this episode of Raw, so clearly a lot of cinematic inspiration tonight. And from there, we cut back to the arena, where D'Lo enters by himself to face the headbangers, which is appropriate, because right now Mark Henry is both getting head and banging. Too crass, perhaps, but also necessary. And speaking of which, while the headbangers are making their entrance, we cut backstage where Terry and Jacqueline are now choking Mark and whipping his chest, and not in a fun way, because sexual chocolate is screaming out in pain. And to make matters even worse, it also appears that they may have put some sort of vice on his balls. Your guess is as good as mine, folks. So all throughout the match, while D'Lo is trying to take on the headbangers by himself, Jerry Lawler is getting updates over his headset as to what Terry and Jackie are doing to Mark Henry, and, well, I'll just play some of it for you here. They're doing what? Okay, come on, what are they doing? Oh my god! What? What a maneuver! Vibrator! <laughs> vibrator! What are they doing with the vibrator? Hot wax and, and vibrators? <laughs> There's a kick out after two by Thrasher. So D'Lo now trying to do this thing. Oh my God! Look at the headbangers. Oh my God! You're not gonna believe this. You're kidding me. What? No. They're doing what? Oh. Here comes Mosh now into the ring. How many gerbils? What? What with the gerbils? How many gerbils? Oh my, what a clothesline by Mosh. Delo's in trouble. That is not humanly possible. So there's that. Meanwhile, back in the ring, the headbangers end up hitting Delo with a double flapjack in less than three minutes. Thrasher made the cover, and that was enough to give the victory 
to the Headbangers. And shortly after the pinfall was registered, Lawler lets us know that Mark has broken free, and sure enough, Sexual Chocolate does indeed show up at the top of the ramp just a few seconds later, wearing only his boxer shorts and some handcuffs around his wrists. D'Lo then proceeds to yell at Mark and storm off backstage, so clearly he doesn't have much sympathy for a man who presumably just had several gerbils shoved up his ass. How sad. We then cut back to the parking lot where Pat Patterson is telling Gerald Briscoe to let him do all of the talking once Vince McMahon returns. And shortly thereafter, Vince's limo returns to the arena, and, amusingly, the first words out of Briscoe's mouth are, Mr. McMahon, it wasn't my fault! Vince then flips out and asks what happened, and when they tell him that Shane is hurt, Vince informs the Stooges that he holds them both to be personally responsible. Although, really, if you're the boss of the company and you gave so little of a shit about your show that you leave for almost the entirety of it, I'd say that's on you. After that, Michael Cole then informs us that The Undertaker will be featured in this month's Tattoo Magazine. Stone Cold Steve Austin gets the cover of TV Guide, but Taker has to settle for an article in Tattoo Magazine. I guess that's what happens when you lose a Buried Alive match. Also, fun fact, Tattoo Magazine actually still exists. I would not have guessed that. And now it is time for your main event of the evening. Triple H and WWF European Champion X-Pac, accompanied by China and the New Age Outlaws, versus WWF Champion The Rock and Test, who are accompanied by Commissioner Shawn Michaels, Ken Shamrock, and The Big Boss Man. And as a reminder, once again, for those of you scoring at home, this is the very first match in the WWF for Test, so clearly a truly historic night. Before the match begins, however, Commissioner Michaels grabs a microphone and proceeds to lay down the law on DX, but then something interesting happens. DX! I got a couple rule changes for you here. See, the corporation... We're in a Christmas spirit, so we're going to stay here and watch this match. But the rest of DX, get the hell out of here. Take it to the back. Uh-oh, couple of rule changes. So the corporate team gets to stay and DX goes. Commissioner Gordon says so. That's not too fair, King. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, Sean. Uh-oh. Sean, wait a minute. It hasn't been a very good night thus far. So I'll tell you what, let's let DX stay down at ringside. It's the Christmas season. Let's let him stay down at ringside. Let's have a fair fight and let's all watch what's going to happen. So there you have it, Shawn Michaels wanted to ban DX from ringside, but Vince McMahon subsequently overruled him for some reason. And after he does that, Shawn walks over to Vince, and we can hear him say, Is there something you're not telling me? So I guess we'll find out. At the start of the match, I have to say the Rocky Sucks chants from the Spokane crowd are pretty enormous, and Triple H rewards them by giving several suck-it gestures in Rock's direction. Very nice of him to be so accommodating. Rock and X-Pac actually started in the ring together, but Pac quickly tagged in Triple H. However, when he did so, it appeared that Rock wanted no part of Hunter, so he tagged in Test. Remember that last week, Test interfered in the Rock-Triple H match and cost Hunter the WWF Championship, so these two have a score to settle. So how did Test look in his first in-ring action? Well, nothing too special. Truthfully, he was just throwing a lot of forearms, but he did end up hitting Triple H with a very nice-looking big boot to the face after Hunter got distracted by Rock. Eventually, Triple H was able to tag in X-Pac, who quickly hit Test with some kicks in the corner, followed by, yep, you guessed it, a Bronco Buster. Welcome to the WWF Test. Now, here are some balls in your face. And shortly after that, we got what I believe was a botched spot. Test Irish whipped X-Pac off the ropes, and Pac simply threw himself back first over the top rope. Very awkward. I think The Rock was supposed to low bridge X-Pac, which would have made more sense, but instead Pac just ended up doing it to himself. Pretty funny to see. So X-Pac ended up playing the face in peril for a while, until he tagged Triple H back in. Hunter eventually managed to hit Test with a pedigree, but before Earl Hebner could count to three, The Rock broke up the pinfall. And so... Let's pick it up from there. Triple 
Triple H had this match won with the pedigree, and The Rock interfered. Hey, wait a minute. What's happened? Oh, no, no. Oh, no. It's Kane. Wait a minute. He's, he's supposed to be in a sanitarium somewhere. He can't be here. It's not him. It can't be. He's... First of all, I know it sounds like I ended that clip a little early, but that really is how Raw went off the air. Not only that, but the show actually faded to black when Kane was lifting China up for a choke slam, so we didn't even see whether or not he actually ended up delivering it to her. But clearly, this brings up some questions. In particular, why would Kane help out the corporation only one week after they had him committed to an insane asylum? Also, what could possibly be motivating him, since we know it certainly can't be money? And finally... Corporate Kane? Who would ever think that that would work? Never happen. Never happen. But anyway, there was obviously quite a bit of craziness this week, but there's still a lot more to cover, so on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap Last week, Raw was victorious in the ratings with a score of 5.16 to Nitro's 4.23. This week, the ratings for both shows went down pretty substantially, but it was still enough for an easy victory for the WWF, 4.71 to 3.99. But as always, I like to provide the Nitro results for the sake of comparison, and on this particular evening, this was a very special episode of Nitro, because it was the go-home show before Starcade 1998, their biggest pay-per-view of the year. And it should be noted that even though WCW has been losing in the ratings, they're still churning out pretty big crowds, as tonight's Nitro was live in St. Louis from the TWA Dome in front of a crowd of 32,000 fans. Pretty damn impressive for sure. So what happened over on the TNT Network? Let's dive in. Fit Finley defeated Scott Putsky in a match which somehow went for more than 13 minutes. Chavo Guerrero defeated Kaz Hayashi. Wrath defeated Lismark Jr. Eddie Guerrero defeated Rey Mysterio in an awesome 16-minute match. Definitely go check that one out. Norman Smiley defeated Prince Iakea. Barry Windham versus Van Hammer ended in a no contest. Booker T defeated Jerry Flynn. Lex Luger defeated Kenny Chaos. Conan defeated Alex Wright to retain his World Television Championship. The Giant defeated Disco Inferno. And in your main event, 
Goldberg versus Scott Hall ended in a disqualification when Bam Bam Bigelow ran into the ring and started attacking Goldberg. Yes, that's right. The last image on the Nitro before Starcade is Goldberg getting jumped by Bam Bam Bigelow, a guy who does not even have a match at Starcade. Splendid booking, as always, by WCW. In addition to those matches, we also had a segment where Ric Flair interrupted an Eric Bischoff promo and chased him out of the building. And if you recall last week, Flair suffered a quote-unquote heart attack while he was cutting a promo, but he certainly seemed fine tonight, running at full speed to try and get a piece of Bischoff. We also got the continuation of the Raven is actually a rich kid angle, as this week his mother came out from backstage and told him that he needs to come home because he's delusional and needs help. Is this ruining the Raven character, or is it a fun twist? You be the judge. And finally, we had a truly bizarre segment. Because Nitro was in St. Louis tonight, Scott Steiner brought out hometown hero Mark McGuire, the man who had just broken Roger Maris' single-season home run record only a few months prior. The one catch was that it was actually Buff Bagwell dressed up as McGuire. And at one point during the segment, McGuire pulled out a bottle of pills and started consuming them, so let's pick it up from there. I want to know... What it felt like when you finally broke... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that? What is that? What is that? What is that? Well, it's Andrew Sting, you idiot. Oh, <laughs> you're telling me you can't get through this interview without Andrew Sting? Well, I don't know about this interview, but there's no way I could have hit 70 home runs without it. <laughs> how, how many do you think you could have hit? So what you just heard there was Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell making fun of Mark McGuire for using a performance-enhancing supplement. Allow me to repeat that. Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell mocked someone for using a performance-enhancing supplement. I think that promo may have officially been the death knell for the concept of irony. And then, to cap off the segment, they lit a St. Louis Cardinals baseball cap on fire, and they also tried, unsuccessfully, to light a McGuire jersey on fire. I'm surprised Major League Baseball didn't try to sue them for that. But anyway, that was your go-home episode of Nitro. What will happen at Starcade 1998, WCW's biggest pay-per-view of the year? Oh, don't worry. It'll be covered on our next episode. And let's just say there is one match in particular which WCW probably wishes that it could redo. But we'll get to that next time. And so now let's take it to the Raw Synopsis. For starters, I was pleasantly surprised at the fact that we actually had three very enjoyable matches on tonight's show. Ken Shamrock versus Billy Gunn was solid, the Boss Man Road Dog match was a fun garbage brawl, and the main event tag match was going really well until the Kane interference. The one real quibble I have is the fact that the Mark Henry angle with Terry and Jacqueline went on for way too long. I think all those segments combined probably took up around five or six minutes of TV time, which may not sound like much, but it's almost entirely just a bunch of wasted seconds where Sexual Chocolate just thinks he's going to be getting laid. That's pretty much all there is to it until the brief reveal at the end that they were actually manipulating him. And oh, those poor, poor gerbils. And once again, for the second week in a row, we had an episode of Raw with no Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm sure the Spokane fans in attendance that night were probably pretty bummed about that, but all in all, his absence wasn't felt too heavily on this show because they just ended up leaning pretty heavily on the very hot DX versus Corporation feud. Definitely a strong roster right now, to be sure. So overall, I'll give the episode a mild thumbs up. If you want to see the in-ring debuts of Test and Shane McMahon, it's worth it from a historical perspective, but otherwise, don't go out of your way to watch this one. Maybe check out the Go Home Nitro instead, because at least you'll get 16 minutes of Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. So on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com like our friend Jeffrey did, or tweet us 
at Raw Attitude Pod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. I have nothing further to add about this episode, and so, because this was the last episode of Raw before Christmas, I will leave you with a clip from another holiday episode of Raw in 2012 when Alberto Del Rio accidentally ran over Santa Claus with his car and almost ruined Christmas. So enjoy that, and I will catch you next time. Okay, not a lot to report at this hour. WWE medical personnel still tending to Santa. We do know that Alberto Del Rio's car did in fact do some damage, but as we learn more, we'll be sure to bring it to you right now. Back to ringside. Our medical staff has just informed me that Santa has taken a turn for the worse. Mr. Claus is being prepped to be taken to a medical facility due to the injuries suffered at 